Good morning, beautifully crafted works of the King. You are. You're a beautifully crafted work of the King. Formed intentionally. Loosed at the right time. Not at all to live according to your capacity to shape yourself, but your humility to be shaped. Um, I need $100. Who has cash? Can I have 100 bucks? Is it 50 I'll pay you back. I just need cash. I'll pay you back, and chances are you'll get more back than you give because that's the nature of the kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. Champion. Bless you. Thank you. Has anyone else got a 50 Card won't do it. I need cash. Thank you, Mrs. VB. You're a treasure. Um... <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> it's it's such a privilege and a joy to be with you. Um, our our hearts feel more unified with you now. Our spirits are more unified with you now than when we were here week in, week out, multiple days of the week. And we bless the journey that he's taking you on. We celebrate the journey that he's taking you on. We feel and we are fueled by the journey that he's taking you on. And so it's just such a, a privilege and an honor to be with you uh, for just a little bit of time and minister to him together. Um, there's some pictures of our family. For those of you who don't know, we moved to South Africa a few years ago. There's only five of our boys there. We now have six. Um, Zakai upside down in my arms. Zion upside down in Bex's arms. Sinelli on the ground. Walter with the blue singlet up in the tree. And Swinky with the blue singlet up in the tree. And they are just our joy. You know, every, every single connection... Um, parents, kids don't belong to you. They never have. They never will. People ask us all the time, when are you going to have your own children? <laughs> and we giggle because there's no such thing. You don't have your own children. They are not your possession. Maybe in a mummy and a daddy did a something and a baby came out. Maybe. But it wasn't your breath. He determined that he wanted to impart the breath of life into a someone. And so he just used the functionality that he created, which is... Why, for me, abortion is, is this thing of we don't condemn, we don't accuse. If you're sitting here and, and you've had an abortion, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because your abortion is my struggle of learning to love my wife in purity and approach her in purity instead of lust. We all, we all are on this journey. But it's why when it comes to abortion and when it comes to ending a person's life and self-assisted suicide, my heart just screams no because the breath didn't come from us and therefore we must not control it. No matter how hard it is, we must not control it. And there's grace if you have. Con- I've controlled my breath. <laughs> the, the, the fact that I can say that, I've controlled my breath. I've, con- I've tried to control his breath. <laughs> So there's no condemnation, there's no accusation, but there's just this humility of, God, here are all these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful crafted people that you have breathed the breath of life into, and what a joy to be with that which he has crafted. That's why we know that biblical honor has nothing to do with performance. How you treat me should never, ever, ever affect how I honor you. There might be consequences, there might be discipline, there might be um, a process that we enter into, but it should always happen in honor because I understand that if I dishonor the created, by extension, I dishonor the creator. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you dishonor them, you just dishonored the work of his hand. You're more concerned about their behavior than you are the substance in which they were created in, and the kingdom has a different lens. 
Actually, it's not even a different lens. The thing with lenses is you can take them off and on. Have you ever prayed that? God, give me new lenses. And he's like, no, but I'll take your eyes out and make you blind and give you new eyes. It's not glasses. It's not lenses. It's eyes. But one is a more costly process than the other. Anyone who wears glasses will tell you that if you try and do the lens thing, after a period of time, it just hurts to have them on. It just starts to hurt you. You have to take them off. And that's why we must not have new lenses. We must have give him permission to give us new eyes. Um, can, can I use this? Is that all right? Um, I've been camping in um, John 17 recently. Um, he, he said to me a while ago, um, can you kind of all see that? Yes, no? Take it up. I've been camping in John 17, and um, I've had this question. He asked me a while ago, Johnny, if you were willing to offer up your paradigms and your perceptions to me as an offering, what would be your posture, what would be your practice, and what would be the promise you would live from, and what would the promise be that you would live unto? If you're willing to offer up your paradigms, your perceptions, because we've all inherited what we believe the church to be. And often, well, his ability to define who we are depends entirely on our willingness to offer up our paradigms and say, is that real, is it not? And the thing is, there's different paradigms for different seasons. So what was true yesterday might not be true for today, because he is actually that big. Now, there's sin and there's holiness. Yes, those things don't shift. But within truth, there's a whole lot of different. Within what's right, there's a whole lot of different. It's right for us to go to South Africa. It's probably right for pretty much no one else in the room to go. So... What, what would happen if I was willing to offer up my paradigms and my perceptions as an offering? And I've been camping in John 17, and, and the question has been, Jesus, what was the church that you prayed for? Because often in Scripture we see Christ retreating to pray, to be with the Father, but we never get to know what he says. It just says, and Jesus withdrew to be alone to pray. And then once in John 17, this conversation is recorded. And it's this incredible heart cry of Christ unto Father. And there's many themes that, that come out in that, in that particular passage, but there's, there's four that he's had me camping in. The four being truth, holiness, mission, and unity. He, he raises and pours his heart out for these things. Truth is the ways of Christ. Holiness is the substance of Christ. Truth is understanding Christ. Holiness is being possessed by and therefore possessing Christ. You know when Peter and John go to the temple and they, um, they encounter that blind man? Look at me, I don't have money, but what I have, I literally possess the healing nature of Christ because I have become possessed by the healing nature of Christ. What I have, I give you. Only what I see the Father doing, I'm not moving by my own perspective or my judgment, but what I have, I've been possessed by healing and therefore I possess. Holiness is possessing Christ. It's a different thing. Truth requires our agreement. To live in truth, we have to agree with it. But holiness requires our submission. Remember, this is a belief system. This is a substance. This is Christ outside you, the hope of glory. This is Christ inside you, the hope of glory. This is the institution of the church, the empire. This is the people, the body of Christ. One is a substance, one is a concept. 
Truth gives you sight. Truth is really fun. <laughs> it's really, really fun. Because you're like, oh, I see. But to move from truth to holiness, he actually demands blindness. You offer up the very sight he's given you as an offering, and you're like, okay, I see that I'm to be the substance of love, but I've tried really hard, and I don't know how to become the substance of love, because how can I build Christ in me? I can maybe build some facets of Christ outside of me that looks really good and gets the applause of the people, but Christ inside me, I can't build that. So Father, I give you permission to make me blind so you can move me from truth to holiness. So one day, when my eyes are again open and the substance of holiness is within me, you get all the glory because I was blind along the way. You don't take it. You can't take it. It's laughable. Truth, we use power. Holiness, we bring authority. Power is momentary. Authority is continual. In Genesis 1, a friend of mine shared this with me the other day, and I just, I, I felt like it was for you. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In his image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Female is the image of God just as much as male is the image of God. Woman, I believe one of the most powerful questions you can ask is, Father, reveal your mother heart. <laughs> like we talk a lot about the father heart of God, but what about the mother heart of God? Because you were crafted from him. You are in his representation. Yes, there's an authority order. Yes, there's a structure. But you are the representation of father just as much as I am. So what is the mother heart of God? And I believe there will be a revolution of women in the church when that becomes a question where for women, it's not to look at a man and see the man nature of God patterned and then try and copy it. But there's genuinely women who have been crafted by him and are seeking the mother heart of God and then all of a sudden start to reflect the mother heart of God and it gives women the, the position and the posture in the church that he always intended them to have. It's not just the father heart of God. Verse 28, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Other versions say, take dominion over it. What we often do is, the way we see it, we perceive it, is we believe that Father created male and female, and then he gave dominion to humanity. But he didn't. He created the image of himself, and then he gave dominion and authority to the image. Authority is not in you as a person. Authority is in you when you, move, when you allow him to move you from truth to holiness and you now have the substance of the Father and therefore you're in the image of Father and therefore you have a natural authority that comes with that. Does that make sense? Yes. So we go, <laughs> it's so good, yay, Jesus. So we, we live in this thing where it's like, have you ever been in a scenario where you know the truth and you pray the truth but it doesn't happen? Have you ever had that or is it just me? Where, where you know it, you know it, you know it. He's taught you the truth. He's taken you down the road of the truth. But you declare and zip happens. Why? Because in that area, we have not allowed him to craft us into the image and therefore there's no authority. Authority comes from holiness, not truth. Power comes from truth. You know when the disciples are walking and there's that city that won't receive them and... Um, <laughs> They say to Jesus, James and John say, should we call down fire from heaven and, and consume the city? You know that story? And Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're of. And he rebukes them. 
But this is what buzzes me. They asked it because they actually thought it was possible. They had seen his dominion and his authority exercised in such miraculous ways that it was a normal question. They didn't even feel like, no, oh, this is a little bit outside the box. They just blurted out, should we call down fire and consume the city? <laughs> so they weren't in the substance of holiness, but they had some idea of the truth of his authority and his governance. And they genuinely believed that they had the power because they'd exercised the power before they'd come into holiness. They'd exercised healings and signs and wonders. So truth comes with power, but there's only, authority will only come in holiness. In truth, we jostle for position. In holiness, we are postured for inheritance. Um, in South Africa at the moment, um, I don't know if it's been in the papers here, but the government is moving forward with um, land expropriation without compensation, which basically means they intend to take land um, from primarily farmers, unused land, land that's not being well stewarded. Um, you know, there's, there's many farms that are absolutely massive and they use this portion of it, not, not this portion of it. But they intend to take portions of farms and then give it back to indigenous people who lost their land under apartheid. And I personally think it's a good thing. I, I, I think um, reconciliation is one thing, justice is another. In the body of Christ, we, we often do reconciliation really well, but... Reconciliation is free, justice costs. Relationship depends on justice, not reconciliation. There are people in my life that have wronged me, and I, am no, I love them. When I see them, I run across the road to hug them. There's been reconciliation, but there has been no justice because we haven't come together and contended for truth, and I haven't been willing to pay a price, and they haven't been willing to pay a price for the standard of truth to be set that we may now walk according to that standard. So the government is trying to do that, and, and Christians are freaking out. <laughs> and I don't get it. I just don't get it, because Hebrews 10 says, remember when you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And see, the thing about holiness Holiness is the substance of Christ within you. You guys have been on such a journey of that for years. But as the substance of Christ within you starts to be built within you, you stop and you go to pray for a car and you suddenly realize that a car is not a worthy inheritance of the one who is within you. And so you start to live and you go, well, what is the inheritance that I'm living unto? And you realize that the only reward great enough for Christ within you is the Father. And all you want is Father, because the Father is greater than the Son, John, whatever. And you actually, in the substance of holiness, you realize that, look, some of you might have nice houses and that's his gift to you, and yay, Jesus. Some of you might be called to live in horrible houses and that's his gift to you, and yay, Jesus. But the substance of Christ within you, the only reward is Father. And so all you start to pray for is more of Father. People are like, oh, it must be hard with your kids over there. They're dangerous. You know, no, because their reward is Father and my reward is Father. When he promises to protect me, what he says is, I will fully reunite you with me. There will be this great and glorious day. And as that becomes more real as a substance within us, the freedom that comes from that is phenomenal. It's how they gave their lives. 
I was chatting with um, a bunch of young people on a, it was like a YWAM DTS, I don't know if you know, like a discipleship training school, it's like a six-month program. And they'd all just arrived, they'd been there for a couple of months, and I was spending a few days with them. And one day I walked in and I said, hey, Father was speaking to me this morning, and he told me to take away all your cell phones and you can have them back at the end of the program. And um, the, the looks on their faces were quite, you know, like, like who says you can do that? And I just smiled and I said, well, you know, I'm really close with Jono who, who heads up this program and I trust him and he trusts me and I've talked to him. So I have his permission to literally demand your devices from you. We're going to turn them off, put them in the Ziploc bag, and then you'll get them when you leave the gate in four months' time. They just didn't know what to do with it. And then I laughed and said, no, Father didn't really speak to me. <laughs> You're off the hook. But this is the point I want to make. He says that we cannot be his disciples. He doesn't say unless we're willing to. He literally says you cannot be my disciples unless you give up all of your possessions. And I said to the young people, if you cannot give me your phone, how the heck do you think you've given him your life? See, if I walked up to you right now and I was like, I need your car, give it to me. I need it. Father told me I need it. I believe he wants that freedom in the body not to be abused. The problem is there will be abuse along the way while we come into maturity, and do we have the humility for that? But when Jesus needed a donkey, he didn't go and ask nicely. He just took it because that's the way that Father said he wanted it done. <laughs> Who wants an Acts like church? Anyone? Do you want the church to look like the church in the book of Acts? Who's been home and asked Father if they're to sell everything they own, seek him for who is the apostolic authority in the region, sell it all, move in with friends, live with friends, do it together, and lay the money at the feet of the apostolic authority in the region? I'm not saying that's necessarily the right methodology. I'm just posing a question. Because supernatural fruit, radical fruit, doesn't come from normal process. We want it to, but it doesn't. And so... What's, what's the inheritance that gets built in holiness in your life? Do you find yourself praying for a new phone or a new car or a better job? Or, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We have to be honest with our hearts with him. If it's in here, let him know. Because if you don't let him know, he can't shape it. He won't be that intrusive normally. But at the end of the day, the inheritance I live with is not that my wife and I are going to have a long and beautiful life and our sons are going to be protected and healthy. The inheritance I have is father. I breathe because he lets me. And if he takes me now, he wants to take me now, I let him. I bless him too. If he wants to take her now, I don't want him to. <laughs> but I bless him too. Has anyone just got married recently? Last three months? Sorry? Soon to be? Who's soon to be? Hey, awesome. Here's the question for you. She got married, and the next day, he asked for her. Would that be okay? Because this is about an ever-increasing measure of freedom unto the Lord, not obligation between one another. Now, I don't believe normally he does that because he designed marriage, he designed family. That's not normal, but we have to give him that permission, I believe, if we want to come into the fullness of holiness. Truth, holiness, mission, and unity. Here's what we normally do. Um, <laughs> This is fun. This is not fun. <laughs> I've seen the light. So I'm going to apply the light. 
I've seen truth. We're supposed to be unified, so let's do an event. Let's gather at the stadium and praise Jesus. But I don't know your name, and I don't know your name, and I'm not even going to ask, because that's this. Might ask your name, but not too much further. What we tend to do is we take this concept of truth, and we apply it internally as much as we can, as far as we can go, and that kind of works for a time, and then when we can't apply it internally anymore, because who can build Christ within themselves, actually, we start to try and apply truth as we've perceived it externally to ourselves, and so we look and we go, mission is out there. God has shown me that he doesn't want there to be any suffering and any poor. So instead of allowing him to get to the suffering and the poverty, we say, how do we fix the suffering and the poverty? <laughs> See, when he says he gives beauty for ashes, that is not just a scripture that is for the broken people in amongst us. And while all the strong people go, it's okay, he gives you beauty for ashes. The prerequisite for beauty is ashes. So burn. <laughs> Why? Because when you've burnt and the wind comes, the ashes go with it. Burn. Allow him to build you into it. What then happens is, is what happens is then he starts to divide this up. And he puts a big solid line between the two. And he lets you know what you can pursue and what you have to come, let come as fruit. And he says, abide in me that you might bear much fruit. And the posture of your life across an entire lifetime is to have truth revealed let him build you into holiness. Have truth revealed. Let him build you into holiness. Have truth revealed. Let him build you into holiness. Have truth revealed. Let him build you into holiness. And then what starts to happen along the way as you start to bear much fruit? Do you know that mission is within you? Like, actually, do you know this? Mission is within you. You were crafted by the Father, put on the earth for such a time as this, for his good pleasure to minister unto him. But the very substance of who you are will start to transform and affect society if you allow it to come as fruit. But it doesn't when it works. It doesn't when you try and jump from truth to mission. <laughs> and there's this beautiful, you know, it's like I was talking to someone the other day, I was like, what season are you in? They were like the same one. And there are seasons, but, but, but life just becomes one big season of truth only. That's built it into me. I see it, I'm not it, build it into me. I see it. I'm not it, build it into me. And it's so scary because you have to acknowledge that he's the potter and you are the clay. And then he puts you on this wheel and the wheel spins. <laughs> and we lose perspective and we lose sense of where we are. and We don't know where we're going and we don't know what he's shaping us into. I spent 33 years of my life with my hands on my life. Shaping, I was looking at him while I shaped. <laughs> How would you like me to be and let me fulfill your every wish? <laughs> shaping, 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 shaping. And then one day in absolute pride, I took my hands off. I looked at what I'd created and I went, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I'm thrilled with that. <laughs> the pride of it. And I took it off the wheel, my wheel, and I put it in my oven and I baked it and I made it hard. And then I went to daddy and I said, Papa, look what I made for you. And he went, 
thanks. What is it? (laughs) They're like, it's me. And he's like, that's not how I see you. Can I change you, Johnny? Can I do this? Not this? And I went, yeah, sure. And he went, thanks. Because my heart was too hard to receive the truth. It had to be broken. There is a scripture that says, I am the Lord God, every good. I am the creator of good and evil. Why? Because without the presence of evil in our lives, we would never be broken to the measure where he could give us what he wants to give us. And I'm broken on the floor. And he says to me, Johnny, I could, I could reshape this stuff kind of into what it is I would have you be, who I would have you be, but I would go to use you to minister love and healing and you'd have hard edges and you would minister hurt. So do I have permission to grind you into dust? And this is all upon reflection because I don't think I loved him that much at the time to say yes, who does? But somewhere he saw a yes. And he ground for years. Just ground and ground and ground and ground and ground and ground and ground ground the pieces, ground the pieces. And then there was a beautiful day where the water of the Spirit poured out and it mixed with the dust and it became clay. And ever since I've been living, sitting on my hands. Shape me, Father. Shape me, shape me, shape me. So the question then becomes, how do, we stiv- how do we stay here? How do we live here? Not to control it. Not how do you do it. How do you posture yourselves in it? I was sitting with the Lord um, a few months ago. Uh, just sitting with him. I didn't, you know, there's times to bring questions. There's times just to be at peace and let him speak. I remember years ago being on an airplane and he said, to, I said, Father, teach me how to speak because <laughs> I feel like this is a part of who I am. Like uh, this, is, this is really fun for me. I, I feel like he's crafted me to, to be this and do this. And, and I was sitting on a plane, Father, teach me how to speak. And he says, no, but I'll teach you how to listen. <laughs> So I was sitting listening, and he said to me, what's the circle of surrender? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) What is the circle of surrender? I have no idea. Um, Can I just, is there anybody, can I ask you to do something courageous? Is there anybody who the voice of God is not something normal for you? Anyone? You can put your hand up. It's okay. It wasn't normal for me once. The voice of Johnny was very real. Awesome. Awesome. So cool. Thank you for being brave. Can I I just encourage you to meditate? Um, In here, it says over... 870 times off the top of my head. Don't quote me, look it up yourself, because it might be wrong, but it's there or thereabouts. It says, 870 times, and the Lord spoke to so-and-so. And God said, people live their lives by the breath of the Lord. Not once will you find, and so-and-so was reading scripture, and they decided through the interpretation of their lens as they read scripture, that this was the way to posture themselves, and therefore they went. You don't hear that. Interestingly enough, you also do not in the book of Acts, one time, see a moment where a person is invited to a church. Not once. It was all about sending, not invitation. In the modern church, we've become about invitation because we can control invitation. But actually, in the book of Acts, it was all about Father moving the pieces as Father wanted to and people receiving the voice of God and moving according to that voice. The voice of God has nothing to do with your capacity to hear and everything about his ability to speak. I have a deal with the Lord that if I think he said it, I'm doing it. And he says some crazy things. <laughs> but I don't make it about my ability to discern. 
I posture my heart to follow what he says, and I trust that if I'm being deceived and getting it wrong, a good father who loves his kids will speak out louder or come closer so that I don't make a mistake because he's looking at my heart and not my action. So can I encourage you to just meditate on the voice of God? Start little. I don't know if I've told you guys this, but when, when we lived in Wellington, um, sorry if I have, when we lived in Wellington, the way that I sort of started to... Um, just make room for the possibility of his voice was I would ask which way to drive if I was going somewhere. If there were two ways of getting somewhere, I'd be like, which way do I drive? And, and, and I'd drive with his presence because it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you give a person a prophetic word, oh, God said to me, and you get it wrong, it can matter. Immaturity in that space is a lot more consequent. There's a lot more consequences to immaturity there than if you just drive your car the way you think the Lord wants you to. I'd walk along the beach in T-Bay and I'd wait until someone came up to me and then I'd be like, God, what's their name? And I'd walk up to them and be like, hey man, are you Peter? And they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, oh, sorry, I thought you were someone else. And I'd keep walking. <laughs> and then one day I walked up to a guy and I said, hey man, are you Luke? And he said, yeah. And I went, oh crap, what do I do now? And I turned around and ran away because <laughs> I didn't have the next step. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you don't make room for him in what doesn't matter, you will never hear him in what does. The reason my sons know my voice, the reason those guys know my voice in a crowded room is because we talk smack all day long. We laugh and we have fun and we engage in what doesn't matter. So when I say to them, my boys, and there's a weightiness and authority and a direction that wants to be given, they respond because the sheep know the voice. But the knowing happens in the small things, not the large things. So I'm sitting with them. He says to me, what's the circle of surrender? I say, I don't know. Um, and I got my notebook, and I did this. And I left it, because that's what I had. And over the next few days, he started to unpack the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of our lives, and what it's looked like to live in a posture of surrender. I believe that the church will be the fullness of Christ according to our measure of surrender. And what surrender requires is a willingness to give up control. What surrender requires is to say, it's not mine. You have to decide. See, that truth holiness, truth is the zoo, holiness is the wild. Truth is the machine, holiness is the wind. This is the thing about zoo lions. They can roar. Have you ever heard a zoo lion roar? Because it tingles the first time, eh? It's an incredible sound. But it doesn't create any governance in the space that you are standing in because they are behind a fence. It doesn't go beyond the fence that has been built to contain them. And what the church has done for years and years and years by saying we go to church, church is an identity outside of ourselves, church is the rock, not the people of the rock, is we've literally built a zoo and we've taught people to roar within the zoo and then we wonder why the roar has no impact out there because they hear it but it has no authority because it's contained by the fence. You want to cross, my geography is horrific, is this cooked straight? Yeah? Yeah? You want to cross Cook Strait. How can you do it? Boat. What powers the boat? Is it a machine or is it the wind? Why do we use a machine? Because we can control it. We can set the timetable. 
We can decide when we want to cross. And the only time we don't cross is when the wind gets so great that our control cannot overtake it. And so we don't yield to the wind. We park our machine until the wind dies down and we can go back to our own control. (laughs) You've got to decide if you want to be the machine in the church, the counterfeit, or you want to be the wind. So it is of those who are of the Spirit. They are like the wind. You do, know not, not, you do not know where they're coming from. They do not know where they're coming from and where they are going to if you're of the Spirit. Now, there's still order. There's still authority. There's still wisdom. But it's the wind in the wild. It is not the machine in the zoo. Sing all the circle of surrender. You come in here and you hit the first stage and it's really fun. What happens is you say yes. God calls you to something. He says, hey, Johnny and Vex, I want you to move to South Africa. And it's super fun and it's super awesome. Everyone's like, yeah, that's amazing, because no one has any idea of the cost. (laughs) Nobody knows what it's going to cost. All they see is like the vision, the powerful thing that God is going to do to redeem his people. And this is going to be amazing. And the cool thing is when he asks you, when he invites you into a something to establish surrender and you say yes, man, does he supply Man, does he supply? We went from nothing, literally nothing. We had nothing to go, nothing to 27,000 New Zealand dollars in eight days, which we needed to go without asking one person for it. I had a guy, um, I can't remember if I told you this story, but I was standing, a guy was standing here. I came in these doors, this is like eight years ago, and I walk in the doors and he found 10 cents on the carpet and he flicked it in the air to me. And I caught it back there, and he called out across the room, Johnny, this is for your trip to Africa. Ten cents, we needed $27,000. We hadn't received a thing. Do you know how this works? Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. He took what was not enough, and looking up, so that his sight was suddenly fixed on who is enough, looking up, not looking down at the ten cents, looking up, He blessed other translations, so he gave thanks. Thank you. (laughs) I caught this 10 cents. Father says to me, if you give thanks for it, it'll grow. Echoed in my spirit. If you give thanks for it, it'll grow. The voice of God is not an external voice in. It's an internal voice, but it's audible. And people say, how do you know it's not your own mind? Because he asks me to do things that I have never thought of and I don't want to do. (laughs) That's how I know. He asks me to constantly give of myself for his sake so that he may bring me to a found life, not a lost life. Looking up towards heaven, he gave thanks for the 10 cents. Thank you, Father. If you give thanks for it, it'll grow. And breaking the loaves. Are you very good at breaking into what's not enough? See, we had nothing. We literally had nothing. And when a little bit of money would come in, because I was convinced that if we were humble enough to give thanks for what was not enough and break into what was not enough, not enough, whenever we had a coffee with someone to say goodbye, I would immediately try and pay. Because even though you have a job and you have more guaranteed earthly supply than I do, I want to break into what I have because I understand if I break into it and I give away, then it can multiply. It will never multiply in your hands. Ever. Never. This is how we want it to work. We, like, we put the food on the table What's not enough? And we're like, Shandara Saravasutakura, and we pray and we pray and we pray, and we watch and we wait for it to multiply, and nothing happens, and we go, oh well, never mind, and we go back to the way we were living. It'll never multiply on the table. 
break it open and give it away as he directs you. And all of a sudden it multiplies between my hands and your hands. It goes poof. And so we start paying for coffees and being generous, even though we literally have nothing and we need $27,000. That same person that flicked 10 cents in the air to me, a man younger than myself, I was 28 at the time, younger than myself, he and his wife put 10,000 New Zealand dollars into our bank account because Father told them to. (laughs) If you give thanks for it, it'll grow. Now, it's not always going to look like that, but if you've got a little bit of joy (laughs) and you want to live in a lot of joy, just start breaking into it and giving it away. If you've got a little bit of generosity and you want to be a generous person, break into it, give it away. So it's fun because he says yes, and then he supplies for his yes. And then Holy Spirit carries us around to the next stage, and we enter the next stage of surrender, which is vision-based surrender. If you want vision-based, think Peter. Um, Peter was consumed with the vision of Christ sitting on the throne. He was, he was in vision-based surrender. It was genuine surrender. It's a part of the process. It's a part of the way. But he's in vision-based surrender. In other words, I see a picture and I pursue the picture. If the presence goes outside the picture, I rebuke the presence. <laughs> Understand? Peter had this idea of, of Christ on the throne. And when Christ tried to go to the cross, because Christ was outside the picture, the vision that Peter had, Peter rebuked him and said, may it never be. No, it can't happen, Lord. He lived in this vision-based surrender. In vision-based surrender, it's measured by human achievement and progress. It's about the substance around you, what we can see happening around us. Are we impacting society? Are the children being cared for? Are the orphans coming into homes? They're all good things. They're all a part of his heart, but they're not our vision. They're not the purest form of surrender. We have outcomes as worship. The cry of the church becomes, look at what we've done for you. We value relationships as a tool to leverage strength to build. There is not one thing I want from you. I don't want anything from you. We live in a country where there is huge practical need. And people often say to me, so Johnny, when you do this traveling thing and you go and speak, you're basically like trying to get support, right? Couldn't be further from the truth. I'm going because I'm sent to bless what he is doing here and not try and pawn or or sell off what he's called us to there. But if we're in vision-based surrender, I value you according to how you contribute to the vision. So if if we want... Quality sound because we believe that quality sound is going to attract more people because we're trying to build the church. And if there are more, pe- more seats, more, more bums and seats, then that looks like a better building. Then all of a sudden, I want a great drummer and a great bass player, not a terrible drummer and a terrible bass player. So if these guys were sitting next to a terrible drummer and a terrible bass player, even though those guys might be more gifted, even though the ones with less capacity might be more gifted to usher an anointing, might have a greater level of humility to usher into an anointing. I prefer the strong over the weak. And he says, blessed are the broken for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a genuine surrender, but it's a surrender to assignment. The call of God becomes an idol ahead of the superior call and the eternal call to abide in intimacy. We use people to achieve the vision. And then we wonder why the church looks the way it looks. What happens if you live in vision-based surrender for long enough? 
is um, Holy Spirit again moves you. And all of this movement is by him, not by us, right? You can't move to the next stage. A friend of mine asked me once, um, what can I do to achieve a greater level of surrender in my life? <laughs> Those are his words. <laughs> what can I do to achieve surrender? <laughs> I just looked at him and said, well, who do you want to get the glory for your surrender? Who do you want to get the glory? You can't move yourself there. You can just give him permission to move you as he sees fit. That's where you start to understand that waiting actually becomes more holy than moving. That doesn't make sense here. If you live in vision-based surrender for long enough, um, (laughs) you'll hit these glorious things called obstacles. Because life's like that. Um, About a year and a half ago, I woke up on a children's village in South Africa, just off the coast of Durban. Several hundred children, my sons, his sons, my brothers in the kingdom, however you want to phrase it. Uh, to a noise about 4.30 in the morning. And unfortunately, that wasn't unusual. (laughs) Living on a children's center with several hundred children who are broken and need a lot of love, um, that was not an unusual thing. But the urgency in the sound was unusual. Normally, it's like a, can I wake you up without waking you up? (laughs) But this was... And I went to the door and I opened the door. And as I opened the door, I smelt smoke in the air. And one of the children said to me, we all need to come to the middle of the village now. And I woke up the boys. Um, Bex and the little boys were actually somewhere else. They were, they were staying somewhere else that night. But I had the three big boys with me, Sonali, Walter, and Swinky. And we woke up and we went to the middle of the village. And as we went to the middle of the village, I could see the sun was just starting to come up. But there were fires all around the property, on the, outside the property, outside the children's centre. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gathered. I don't know how many, but it was a big number. And there was a sound to their gathering. And the sound was not one of peace and rest and joy. And we gathered in the middle of the children's center. And we found out that what had happened was that for the last few weeks, a group had been coming into our local community. And they had been with the power of the tongue and the power of lies. They had been saying things about the center that wasn't real. They had been saying that the government had given money to the local community and we had taken it and we had built the centre with it. They'd been stirring up this... Where there is great injustice and great pain, lies take hold very, very easily. People literally don't have the personhood to deal with it well. And... These other people external to our community came in, racked the local community up against us, came in the night before we woke up, gave them drugs, gave them alcohol, got them drugged, got them drunk, and then loosed them against us. The idea, the core of it being take back what is yours, this was never theirs anyway, take it back and take it back by force. And they had lit fires and they had gathered at the gate of our property to signal their intention. And as the morning War on, they came onto the property, they trashed buildings, they lit fires, they're walking up this slowly, (laughs) up this hill to where we're gathered in the middle of the center and they're screaming, we're going to crack your skulls open and we're going to drink your brains through your skulls. They're screaming this at kids. And I'm sitting there with my sons, I'm like, sure, this is an obstacle, (laughs) 
And what happens when we hit an obstacle is we have two choices. We can either divert away from surrender and ask ourselves, what will I do? How am I going to fix this situation for the glory of God? We either divert away from it. And if we divert away from it, what happens is because he's given us capacity, we we problem solve together in our own strength what we can do to fix the problem. And in some way, shape, or form, it gets kind of fixed. And we come up into this, what will I do? And we scramble around here and we apply our strength because we know we've got to get back to the vision. This is like an obstacle to the vision. And then eventually we pop out back to our yes, back to our vision base. And we just go round and 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 round the circle for a lifetime. But there's another option where if you allow Holy Spirit to carry you around the journey of surrender, you move to what I favorably term the abyss of repentance. Scripture actually teaches that when there's a problem without you, it's an opportunity for a mirror to be raised in your own heart. That's what it teaches. It teaches that if there's an issue that you see, It's an opportunity for that to become real in your own life. The irony right now in the U.S. is that people have a problem with the way Trump speaks. So they bash him in their speech the very same way they have a problem with how he speaks. You understand? Because the U.S. on the whole does not have the capacity to go. Now, whether you think Trump is an answer for the U.S. or he's a a problem for the U.S. doesn't matter. The concept applies in both. That whether he's a gift or he's a curse, the nation doesn't have the capacity to say, I don't like the way he speaks. That is not kingdom, so change the way I speak. That's how we are to deal with problems outside of ourselves. When you hit an obstacle, when these guys are coming up the road literally to take your life, not just take your stuff, but take your life, and they're raging, and you can feel it in spirit, and they're carrying pangas, and they're carrying garden implements, and they've got fire, and they're trashing, and they're abusing, and they're screaming, and we're all huddled in the middle of the center, and the question, none of us can ask, what can we do? Because the problem is outside of us. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, and there's a few adults and several hundred children with us, and we're surrounded. We can't get out. We're sitting here, and we're like, okay, (laughs) and I'm sitting there as they come up the hill, and I start praying, Father, change their hearts. Seems like a fair enough kind of prayer, right? Do you know what he said to me? No. It is not the transformation of their heart that will loose me to act in this situation. Give me permission to change yours. And I'm like, are you serious? Can you see? I'm not the problem. They're the problem. He says, no, Johnny, I want to change you. You're responsible for your heart. You're not responsible to make your heart into anything I want it to be. You're just responsible to yield it. So I say, okay, change my heart. He tells me that we as a community have wronged them and that we actually sowed the seed that has grown. It's been you know, watered into a pretty big tree. But unintentionally, we wronged them. So I started shouting out (laughs) to the children's center, hey, we need to repent. 
we need to posture ourselves in repentance because it's our repentance, not theirs, that's going to transform the situation. We all started to pray and confess areas where pride had become great in our own hearts compared to the lives of the local community. We tried to serve them, but we tried to serve them from a position of strength, not mutual weakness. We created a power imbalance because we're the ones with the resource and the capacity and you're the ones with the need. We didn't say it like that, but we acted like that in ignorance. We start to repent. They keep coming. I turn to my boys and I say to my boys, and I've asked for their permission on this, so I felt free to say it, but I turn to my boys and I say to them, I can't protect your life. It was never mine to protect. And I know you're saved. I know you call him king. I know you do. And so if they come for us, I'm not going to take an unsaved life to protect a saved life because that's just not kingdom mathematics. If someone has to die here, it'll be me first. And I'll gladly give it because if it leaves an opportunity for that one to wonder why I didn't fight, why I just went, it's okay, you can take it. There's nothing to take anymore. You're just taking a dead guy that longs for an eternity. You just take, you're gifting me with something. Thank you. I long for the day of unhindered intimacy. I turned to my boys and I'm like, I can't protect you. And they're like, it's okay. And we just hugged and prayed, Father, change your hearts. I'm sorry that I'm scared of them because that means I don't know your sovereignty. I'm sorry that I'm angry with them because that means I believe I have something to protect, which is the very seed of pride in my life. I'm sorry that I think they are the bad ones and I am the good one. I'm sorry that I think they are blind and I see because when the Pharisees asked you if they were blind, you said to them, you think you see and so you are blind. I'm sorry that I think I can see this situation. Change my heart. And the young man who leads the village, his name's Chizzy, phenomenal guy. He and his wife, Ati. He stands on the driveway because father told him to. He just does this. No anger, no hate, no strength. No, I'm standing against you. No, no, no. I'm just standing just putting on the armor of God and standing firm. <laughs> doesn't say put on the armor of God and fight. It says just put on the armor of God and stand. And he stands like this. And inexplicably, a raging crowd of hundreds stop, turn, and leave. And have not been on the village since. In that capacity anyway. So we had these things called Obstacles. And you have to decide whether you are going to problem solve the obstacles in your own life. We're going to let him shape you so that it's no longer a problem. The circumstance might not shift, but everything will shift. And therefore the circumstance will have no power. <laughs> um, when we dwell here in repentance, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart. Oh, by the way, this took 10 minutes. This took about a day. This takes in life not very long to come around. This took five years. <laughs> it's beautiful five years. Wouldn't change it for the world. In fact, you come out of it. He pulls you out of this, and the cry of your heart is do it all over again because of what gets birthed in it. If you allow him to continue to move you, he moves you to not vision-based surrender, but presence-based surrender. Um, 
if you want a biblical example of this, this is Peter, unredeemed Peter. This is redeemed John. I can't leave the foot of the cross because that's where you are. You'll find me at the foot of the cross because that's where you are. I'm about your presence, not your vision. I'm about who you are, not what you can do. Um, this is for you. You can have it. Yeah, you. Um, I believe there's something really beautiful happening within you. I believe he's stirring something within you. I believe that you're starting to believe that it could be. And I believe he wants you to use that for it. Okay? That's blessing. Um, I will pay you back. I will pay you back. (laughs) That's blessing, okay? Blessing. Do you understand the difference between blessing and favor? Is that something you've wrestled with? Blessing is when the goodness of who father is gives to his kids. So that's blessing. You can use it for whatever you want. If you want to spend it on McDonald's, knock yourself out. If you want to buy clothes, knock yourself out. If you want to give it away, knock yourself out. It doesn't matter. One is not better than the other. It's just whatever he's doing. That's blessing. This card is linked to everything, 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 everything that I have. Just imagine I'm father. I know the analogy is a little bit flawed, but go with me on it. (laughs) This will not run out, ever. The pin number is 5736. Go and extend my heart. That's blessing. That's favor. Blessing will run out. It's given because of the goodness of the heart of Father towards us. Favor, you will not find one biblical example where Father says he gave favor to Abraham. It always says he found, Abraham found favor with the Lord. Blessing is because of his heart towards us. Favor is found because of the posture of our heart towards him. Now, make it sound like we earn it. We don't. We just posture ourselves where he would have us be in surrender, and therefore everything that is his, we get free and unhindered access to everything that is his under the realm of I only do what I see the Father doing. It's not a positional authority. It's not a place of control. It's just that my life has no limits on it whatsoever because I'm, I'm posturing myself. Look, here's the thing. I give my sons cash. There are times when I give them cash. Maybe we go to the mall, or I'm like, hey, it's the school holidays. Do you want to go see a movie? And out of the goodness of my heart, I give them cash. Not one of them has a card. <laughs> Parents, do you give your kids FPOS cards with the PIN number? Anyone yet? I haven't done it yet. Why? Because I know that maybe in the first week they will honor my heart in the spending, but by the time week two rolls around, they don't have the maturity to handle the freedom, and therefore they will abuse the gift. And so they live right now in the realm of blessing, not the realm of favor. Yeah, I'm going to need that back. (laughs) Thank you. Blessing, favor. We need favor in our lives because the call of God on your life will never be accomplished with blessing. What he's crafted you to be, who he's crafted you to be, will not come through the goodness of his heart towards you. Why? Because it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Blessing comes on everybody. We all receive blessing because of the good heart of the Father. One of the biggest mistakes the church has made is believe that blessing, the church has a monopoly on the blessing of Father. We don't. He blesses his kids as he perceives. Like we think the church has a monopoly on the presence of Christ. What a crock. He's everywhere. The only reason he doesn't break out in a strip club is because you and I prefer to stay in the walls here. I've been meditating on this song. It goes, ring the bells, ring the bells. 
this time I mean it. Bid the hatred fare thee well. Give back the pieces of my Jesus. Take your counterfeit to hell. Bang the drums. This means war, but not the kind you're looking for. We say mercy won't be rationed here. That's what we're fighting for. Ring the bells. Move your feet, you tiny people. You've been hiding for too long. Behind your statues and your steeples. Does that hit too close to home? I've got faith to move a mountain and to see that mountain move. The sound of mercy breaking forth, the sound of justice breaking through. The reason his presence doesn't break out in strip clubs is because you and I are not yet in the posture of surrender where he could say, go down and sit in a strip club in absolute purity because you no longer have any lust after that thing. Sit in absolute purity and bless my presence. His presence is there. We believe he's everywhere. (laughs) But then we believe he only breaks out in the buildings of the thing we call the church. Favor, blessing, presence-based surrender. It's measured by surrender, not by strength. And it's measured by the substance of the kingdom within. It values relationships not of great strength, but of mutual weakness. You know when Jacob wrestled with God? You know when he wrestles, I want to be God. And he wrestles, he wrestles, he wrestles, he wrestles, he wrestles. And then the scripture says that Father saw that he wasn't going to overcome him because he was so determined in his own strength that he reached out and he touched his hip socket and he gave him a lump. And in the weakness, Father was then able to overcome him and he renamed him from Jacob, meaning deceiver, to Israel. Father of nations. Is that right? Father of nations? Can't remember. Anyway. Wrestled with God. Thank you. Abraham, Father of nations. So, <laughs> the people I'm most close with, I'm not like, show me your strength, I'm like, show me your lump. I value your weakness, not your strength. Because if you're not limping, you haven't wrestled, and if you haven't wrestled, you haven't been renamed, and if you haven't been renamed, you're living from an old identity, not a new identity. Show me your lump. I can tell you my struggles with no shame, no stress, no problem, because I actually want to know that <laughs> in the relationships I have, we're not trying to just pull off what we can get from each other, but actually we're just trying to come together and link arms and minister to his presence together in our weakness because then somehow, blessed are the weak in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. This place values weakness. This place doesn't put people on a scale and say that one's worth more than that. That's why this environment often is so corrupt because we put chairs at the front and we go, reserved. (laughs) Only one voice can speak here. Oh no, we need to protect the pulpit. Says who? Says who? The meditation in my heart at the moment when I go somewhere to speak is to walk in with absolute humility that it just might not be my voice that speaks, even though I've traveled across the ocean to be there for that day. Because I never want to assume position or posture. It values relationships of weakness. You know how this one had um, outcomes as worship? Look at what we do. This one, methodology is worship. Look at who we are. Okay, nearly done, sorry. And then you get to this glorious, glorious thing called fruit. Like I said, mission is within you. Fruit is not, you know, like (laughs) a tree doesn't stand there and be like, fruit. Do you understand the difference between governance and control? 
Do you get that? That governance brings authority to the inputs but leaves absolute freedom into the output. The role of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is not to tell you what to do. It's to personally yield in such a way that the substance of Christ is birthed in us that we can pour out in gifting, not that we're better or we're different, but we're not better. We're just a different part of the body. We pour out in gifting and that actually allows the substance of Christ to be accelerated and blessed within you. And then you go and be who he called you to be. That's the role of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Is to live with a spirit that says you have been crafted. Listen, more people are called to live a quiet life working with your hands so that you earn the respect of those around you. More of the body is called to that than being a light in the church. It doesn't say that we're to be lights in the building. It says that we're to be lights in the world. But our value system often gives more value and more kudos to the lights in the church than it does the lights in the world. Sorry, I'm ranting. Governance will always say, hey, you need water. I'll bring you water. You need, there's flies on you. How, can, how does Father want to get rid of those flies? You're bound up. How do we see those things loosed and released? Governance will always bring authority to that, but give you absolute freedom as to how you apply yourselves in your ministry unto Father, because only you know. And if that means we don't have a worship team, well, that's okay. Who said we had to have one? That means you're never, like, I'm not going to do it because I don't know how it would go. I think it would probably be okay. But what I wanted to do was get a hammer and actually, like, put a hole in the wall and then get you to frame it. Just as, like, a little prophetic sign of what has been, what is, and what will be. That you would be free to just be who he crafted you to be and ask that question, not ask, how do I serve in the church? Well, yeah, there's family jobs. Of course there is. Our kids wash the dishes. If we want to meet like this, we need a sound system. If that's our choice, it's right that we all invest. But that's not your tithe. Your tithe is the first fruits of who you are given back to the substance of who he crafted you to be so that you can minister to the presence of the Father. That's the tithe. Now, there should be offer. This, this costs. I'm not, do you hear what I'm saying? It's not just and right to walk in and expect to receive without giving. You know, David himself said, I won't give an offering, I won't, do something that cost me nothing. I'm not going to build something for you, allow something to be built that didn't cost me anything. So it's right. But the tithe, the tithe is about the fueling of those that minister to the presence of the Lord. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but we'll just leave it there and move on. Finally, here. Uh, Holy Spirit moves you and there's this question of, am I going to do it again? <laughs> am I going to say yes again? Because honestly, guys, this is years. <laughs> takes a long time. And you come back to this place of, okay, I understand that the cycle, he's, he's drawn me around the cycle, and I ask, am I, am I going to say yes again? <laughs> is there going to be another round of this? Because I, I now know the cost. I know what it cost me. I know that it's going to ask me to pray for people that are coming to kill me in love and bless them and ask for my repentance instead of condemning them and demanding theirs. I know that that's going to cost me emotionally, spiritually, and physically. I know that there's going to be suffering in this picture. I know that there is. So am I going to say yes again? And if we say no, that's okay. It's still an authentic journey. He loves us where we're at until we're ready to move on. Sometimes rest is right, physical rest. 
But if we say no, we move into the realm where we have to control and steward everything that he's done around here to keep it lasting in our lives while we wait to say yes again. And if we say yes and we re-enter another deeper measure of surrender, surrender as he carries us through, we re-enter that exciting again, his mercy is new every morning. I don't need to keep today for, I don't need to keep something for, in today's resource for tomorrow because I know that I just need to live obedient and yielded in today and I can trust his sight for tomorrow, not mine. Now, if he tells you to save for your retirement, save. But if he doesn't, why are you? Like, I'm deadly serious. We have this word called stewardship, and we use it all the time for, as an excuse to control. If he hasn't told you to allocate some resource of today into that for tomorrow, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. There's actually scripture that goes directly against trying to steward resource for today and make it last for tomorrow. Why? Because I'm the king of my life. I need to control the resource. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. He uses it. The thing in and of itself is not wrong. But who has control of it makes it either an offering unto the Lord or an idol before the Lord. And when we understand that, I cannot save for my retirement because I know he's not asking me to right now. And I can be perfectly united with someone who is because I know that he can be asking them to, and we don't have to divide over different opinion because we're both held in surrender. We actually have a common unity as a fruit. His measure of supply in your life is simply the measure, is the mirror of your measure of surrender. What he supplies in your life is just the mirror image of what you're willing to yield unto him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the temples of your spirit that are gathered here this morning. I thank you for what you're doing, King. I thank you for the permission that is being given to your hands. I thank you that you are crafting your purpose. I thank you for the vast array of fruit that is and will be displayed from this part of your body. And I thank you that it comes from great unity and great joy in the different expressions of fruit. I pray against the whisper of the enemy that would seek to come and say, you have got it sorted, move forward in strength. And I pray for the call of the wild, the roar of lions who don't roar and suddenly are restricted by walls that they they themselves have accepted and crafted. I pray that where those walls exist, you would tear them down. I pray that where there are walls that we have set up to stop the wind because it's more comfortable to sit in peace than in the wind as we perceive it, I pray that you would tear those walls down and we would be found resting in the power of the wind and we would be able to truly say, the Spirit moves me, the Spirit leads me for his good pleasure and his good purpose. As Bex and I were praying in the car this morning, we just saw a bunch of lions that were put in a zoo. 
but you were never zoo animals. You never said yes to that. You never said yes to being set up as a place where others could go and look at something different to itself. You said yes to the call of the wild. You said yes to loosing a voice that brought authority and governance to an entire region, not just a cage. And if that's you this morning, I just bless right now. Bex and I, just in spirit, we lay our hands on you and we bless you as a wild one of the wind. And we trust his capacity to steward you through that. And Father says that sometimes the wild ones will look mangy. They're not always, they don't always look as cared for as the ones in the zoo. They don't, sometimes they have fleas and sometimes they go hungry, but they know what it is to exercise governance in a region according to the voice of Father. And I believe as well there's a warning that says, in the wild, don't ever forget he crafted as a pride. Lions don't go into the wild alone. They go in together. The wild is a greater call to unity than the zoo. It's a greater call to walking together than the zoo. You have to walk with greater humility, allowing him to figure things out between you relationally in the wild than you do the zoo. There's deeper relationship in the wild. So, Father, I thank you for these beautiful people, the work of your hands. I pray that each one of us would leave this place more deeply yielded and surrendered, just saying yes, not because we achieve it or we know how, but just giving a simple yes. I pray that we would embrace who you've crafted us to be more deeply than we ever have before. I pray there would be joy and being who we are. And I pray that you would get all of the glory because we quickly, with much awe and reverence, recognize it to be the work of your hands and ours. I bless you in Jesus' name. May he be fully loosed within you. Amen. Like that circle of surrender. If you want to take a photo of that, feel free to take a photo of that and uh, listen again and allow the words to, to permeate your heart. And um, I just sense Spirit saying this is, is hear what was said. And so that may require some of us to ask some questions to Johnny while he's here because he's the one that said some things. It's very easy to mishear some things that were said. I'm so, it was awesome the way he just clarified the the lion hunting packs. Um, and I love the picture because swimming pool and sea is another picture God has given us, which is the zoo and the wild. Pool, it's safe. Sea is not safe. So he's saying the same thing. Um, so I just encourage you, I encourage you if, you, if you've got some questions, if you need clarity, please seek it. Don't leave here without seeking clarity. And so there's that, that oneness of understanding. So that was pretty cool, eh?